Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com mother. Hey everybody, it's Sarah. Before we get to the meat of our show, wanted to let you know that we have chosen a second book for the AMR Running Reading Club. It is Downsize, 12 Truths for Turning Pants-Splitting Frustration into Pants-Fitting Success, and it's by Ted Spiker, who you might know as the um, author of the Big Guy blog at runnersworld.com. And we are going to be hosting Ted Spiker, the author, in mid-November. So I wanted to give you a heads up that you, uh, if you want to take part in it, you could... Um, Read his book before then, and we'll be fielding questions for Ted on our Facebook page on November 11th. And now on to the podcast. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. And Dimity, I got to tell you, I had the most hilarious conversation last night with the twins about, of, the nine-year-old twins, about, of all things, periods. Menstruation. <laughs> Are you talking about menstruation, <laughs> yeah. Sarah? Yes, I am. And, um, you know, uh, Phoebe, their older sister, is 12 and a half. And yeah, I just, I have a lot of trouble broaching the subject with her. But for some reason, I can have the most frank conversations with John and Daphne, the nine-year-old twins. Maybe maybe Phoebe's listening from the other room, do you That's, think? I was hoping that. I was hoping yeah. that because, so Daphne was asking, it was, um, we'd stopped watching TV and we're laying on our king-size bed and um, so kind of all snuggling together. And they were just asking all these questions and Daphne was, you know, just wondering what you do, like how long does it last and what type of products you use to deal there, with it. But I'm just curious, what seeded it? Was there something? on television about it no nothing just not because I, I, I don't know. even think that ben knows what a period is and he's well he's eight i guess he's a year younger uh, and i john's, guess it helps to have boy girl twins but. john's fascinated with the topic of um he's intrigued by knowing which one of phoebe's friends have had their periods and that oh, has geez. been that has been, that has been that has been a dinner time conversation uh this summer jack jack's never around for these jack my husband is never around for these conversations but um we were i was at the dinner we were eating outside on our deck and um the twins best friend is this girl lucy who's an only child and so lucy was over for dinner <laughs> And that conversation ended up with um, Phoebe, like, you know, dumping a jug of water on John's head. And <laughs> that was all about periods. Probably, probably deservedly like. so. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, so but last night there was no dumping of water, but I think there might have been a hearkening back to that or something. I don't know. So Daphne's asking about it and wanting to know, like, what products and... And so um, I said something about like, oh, well, you know, when you first get it, you'll probably use pads, but then you'll move on to a tampon. And um, so anyway, so Daphne said tampon really funny. She said tampons. And she totally curled her little hand at the same time when she said it. And so then a minute later, oh, and John's in between the two of us. And so then a minute later, Daphne's like, well, what if it happens when I'm at school and I don't have anything with me? And I'm like, well, that's why, you know, as you get a little older, you'll start to carry some of those supplies with you. And I said, and then that's a good reason to have girlfriends is because then, you know, if you don't have something, you can borrow something from them. And so John chimes in and he goes, hey, girlfriend, can I borrow a tampon from you? <laughs> And he keeps saying it. And he did. I mean, I almost need to like have him call into our, our phone number and have him record it because he just was cracking me up. And I'm just like tears streaming down my face, laughing so hard. And he's laughing so hard because I'm laughing so hard. That's so, awesome. So then, so then Daphne's like, well, but I don't want to wear either of those things. Isn't there something else? She said, I just won't wear anything. And John oh, said, geez. John said, you know, your friends might say to you, hey, you know, you got something on your pants. Oh, no, wait, you got a lot of something on your pants. <laughs> so then Daphne goes, I think they should make under girls underwear with pads built in. And John goes, yeah, a woman diaper. <laughs> 
Not a women's diaper, but a woman diaper. A woman diaper. A woman Just for di- one woman. Only one woman. The whole world needs it. <laughs> so, so anyway, so then we've decided that Daphne's going to create the woman diaper one day. And, Great. Um, <laughs> Let, let me know if she needs an investor. It sounds like a good, a good. Oh yeah. So and then, oh, and then John wants to know. So then they want to know, you know, what pads were made out of. And John goes from old couches. <laughs> <laughs> And then we start on with this whole, like, <laughs> Lucy, the best friend, likes to collect hairballs, like, from the oh. d- d- from the cat fur around her house. And I said, oh, no, they make it out of they make it out of cat fur balls. And, and then the twins went to a camp that had cat tails. And I'm like, no, they make it out of cat tails. And we were just cracking up. And, like, Daphne had this whole fear of, she wasn't worried about the tampon getting lost, but, but of the string getting lost. And I'm like, well, Daphne, it's kind of like that lamp we have down in the living room where you pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh and we just were just howling with laughter so i woke up like three times during the night um i think it's because miller our cat was sleeping between me and jack and every time i thought of woman diaper so then, so then this morning i was like hey john do you have on your woman diaper he's like no mom how about you <laughs> <laughs> oh and then the other funny thing is that daphne said um, she wanted to know how long a period lasts, and then she asked if I get it. And I said, okay, well, this is, you know, I'll address this subject. And I said, no, actually, um, you know, I went into something called early menopause, and it means that I don't have my period anymore. And Daphne goes, I want to have that. <laughs> and John goes, Daphne, don't be silly. You can't go from not having your period at all to having menopause. <laughs> Oh my God, he sounds like a, I can't believe I just I just got to back up to the fact that he's a fascinated when when Phoebe's friends have their period. I mean, I hope that um, he kind of shut that conversation down a little bit. He, um, you know, it's funny because like Phoebe will go through phases where she doesn't want to talk about any of this at all, and then the reason he's fascinated is because she's had the conversation with him. Like sometimes John and Phoebe, who are not the twins, can put their heads together in such a like girlfriend's way, that, uh-huh. and they just get. Gab, gab, gab. And then he'll cross, then like at that, you know, dinner outside, you know, he crosses the line and suddenly he's getting water dumped on his head. But um, so I, I thought it was more like, I don't know. I, I, I saw it more as like him coming home being like, so did Emily bleed today? Did Lucy bleed today? What about, you know, but I guess obviously that's not, you know, you have to put it into context. Yeah, no, he doesn't, you know, um, he definitely pays attention to when Phoebe's friends come over, but he, I don't think he'd be that brazen. I would hope not. And I have said to him i said john you know this topic sometimes embarrasses phoebe so you have to be kind of you know watch watchful of how much you talk about it with her and you know you have to be respectful of her and things like that and so um yeah i don't know but it's just so crazy i mean and we can sit there and talk about sex and all this stuff and like they just i don't you know like i don't know it's crazy they're your children sarah they're tmi (laughs) (laughs) maybe it is that it was just (laughs) Just, it was very funny. So I'm like, that when I had finally said woman diaper to myself about 20 times, I'm like, that's it. That's the intro to what we're going to talk about woman on the podcast. Diaper. Well, it's funny because so, um, so that, that that was inappropriate by any stretch, but I got an email um, so from Ben's teacher um, mm. yesterday. And, you know, he's in third grade and he's been singing this song, you know, um, you know, on to, to, to the tune of On Top of Old Smokey, oh. but it's about killing, you know, Barney with a machete and oh, he's sure. covered with blood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a Halloween sure. inspired tune, I guess mm-hmm. he would say. <laughs> um, and I guess I was like, where did you learn that? Well, it turns out they've learned it like driving to soccer practice oh. with oh, Grant. My husband is driving. And I was like, why don't you just shut that down? Like, why? You know, like, that's really not. You know, so the boys, the, do. the boys all teach each other or grants. Yeah. Oh, and them then and they singing. make up more lines, oh, you know, yeah. it's shooting them in the head. I mean, you know, it's, it's an eight year old boy thing, but mm-hmm. anyway, so it's really not that big of a deal except for when he has it on repeat oh, in his head and he sings it like 17 times before, you know, 7am and then you're a little yeah. bit like, okay, Ben, that's not really appropriate. So the, um, the teacher emailed you though? Well, so he, apparently he was writing the lyrics, um, oh. while she was teaching. Oh, goodness. And so I get this email and I, you know, and she said, um, she said, you know, I just wanted to let you know he's not in trouble or anything, but these are the lyrics he was writing. And I was like, 
you know, and so like, I think that maybe she thought that he dreamed it up right there or something, you know, oh. and it wasn't, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we'll talk about it. But it was just so funny because to have them written out over email, like on top of spaghetti, <laughs> I shot Barney with oh, a machete. God. I don't even remember what it, they are, but it's like in oh. email, you know, like, oh, gosh. she's like, just so you know, this is what he, and I was like, okay, okay, yeah. we'll talk about it. Yeah. In this day and age, I guess they got to take all that type of stuff. Oh, I, I definitely, I, yeah. I was very like, thank you very much. Because I mean, really, you know, that is, he, they are at the age where you've got to figure out, you know, what is appropriate to share when, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I mean, you never, uh, you know, grow out of non sequiturs and embarrassing yourself. But at the same time, if we could limit it a little bit or teach some social, yeah. you know, expectations, that would be good. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so speaking of uh, a very skilled speaker and someone who's probably not going to sing or talk periods with us, um, we are so excited to have uh, Miss Dina Castor on the podcast today. I love it when we get to have the elite mother runners because they are one of us and yet they're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, She won the 2004 Olympic bronze medal in the marathon. She also holds holds the American women's record for the marathon um, as blazing time of Mm -hmm. 219.36 when she won the 2006 London marathon. And then most recently, she's um, now 41. So she's now technically a master. Mm -hmm. I was just doing air quotes. Did you see that, Sarah? master air quotes oh i saw them oh yeah okay good good um and as as a master as an old fogey uh, she just ran ripped up i should say mm-hmm. um a 109 39 at the rock and roll half marathon in september mm-hmm. which took the world master half marathon record for women by 20 seconds mm-hmm. so her glory days are far from over mm-hmm. and she's actually taking on the new york city marathon tomorrow mm-hmm. so um we are so thrilled to welcome on miss dina castor Thanks, girls. It's great to connect with you. Good, good, good. So we adore you and your husband, Andrew. And um, how has becoming a mother changed your attitude toward training and racing? Oh, gosh. I, I feel since having Piper, she's now three and a half years old, and it's kind of rekindled my, my love of running and it for different reasons. I feel that um, maybe after having Piper, I was looking at retiring from from the sport and just finally realized that although uh, this is my profession, that I don't have to retire from it because it's also a lifestyle. And I really think that the, the lifestyle of running and racing and setting goals is a great way to be a role model for my daughter so that she could see me finding joy putting one foot in front of the other each day and now three and a half years old to see her joyfully running down the street or around the playground um, just as a I guess a reassurance that we're showing her how enjoyable this sport and how rewarding this sport can be so no plans on retiring my my wonderful lifestyle of running and racing and being able to share that with my daughter. Well, that, that's great. That's great. Well, and so you are, you're gearing up as we talk. You, you're going to be running New York in about two weeks or so. Um, and so how is your training going for the New York City Marathon? My, my training for the New York Marathon this year has, has gone well, and it really was it's just because I got reinforcement throughout the entire year that I was um, getting into better fitness through, through training and racing a couple half marathons and then um, finally put New York on the list because I had a, had a few good long runs here at home in Mammoth Lakes, California. So it really just fit into the progress of what this year has, has been. And now that um, it's right, New York is right around the corner, I feel so grateful that my training went fantastically and, um, and that I'm going to be on the starting line with great training and, um, and health. I'm injury-free. I'm ecstatic to have just had that mirror marathon buildup. It's, it's rare that marathon buildups go flawlessly. And I, sure. and I think that this was pretty, pretty flawless. So it's a good, it's, um, it's putting me in a good frame of mind to step on the starting line of New York. It was where in 2001, I ran my first marathon there. And it really, the whole experience really hooked me on the sport of the marathon. So I'm grateful every year to go back at some capacity. Well, and, and even though this is airing the day before the New York City Marathon, and we hope that the the you know mere mortal mother runners who are running it tomorrow, um, you know, kind of have their their act together at this point. What what advice? Because obviously you know the course well, and you know the energy of the course and the energy of the city. So I mean, what what are some of the highlights, and what 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 um, recommendations do you have for regular runners? 
Oh, that's a great question. And New York specifically, I think the starting line is so empowering to have 45,000 people on the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, that anxious energy ready to, to unleash on the on the race course is is so thrilling to me. So I love that that start line. And then in in marathons, I typically instead of thinking of it as 26.2 miles, I have a water bottle every 5K. So in order to better digest the marathon distance, I think of the marathon as eight water bottles long. <laughs> and eight seems a lot more easier to handle than 26.2 um, as, as far as like a psychology standpoint. So mm-hmm. I pick marathons typically up into eight water bottles, but New York is even better because you break it up into boroughs. So the New York marathon is only five long, only <laughs> five boroughs long instead of being 26.2 miles. So any little psychological um, uh, manipulations that we can do to, to make the marathon distance more digestible. As, as training, you put in the training and you know you're physically capable of it. So the, the game of the marathon, besides being an energy game of energy and getting fluids and calories along the way, is really a, a mental a mental strength you need to rely on. And it's exciting to, to be able to continue to master that. And I think that's kind of the hook of the marathon is that you cross the finish line and you think, oh, I could have been tougher right here. Or maybe if I just put in one more long run. So there's always a lure to come back and, and try to perfect that distance. And I don't think there's ever a perfect race. So we just continue getting out there and signing up for the next race. Hey there, as you probably noticed, the sound quality is not optimum. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have improved sound quality from Dina. And while we're at it, let's hear from our sponsor. Hi, this is Melissa from Dade City, Florida. I'm mom of four sons, ranging in age from 7 to 16. I'm happy and honored to give a shout-out to the folks at Audible.com for supporting another Mother Runner radio. When I'm not being a mother runner to a houseful of boys, I work a few hours a month as a librarian, so you can honestly trust that I'm pretty good at recommending books. One of the best audiobooks I have listened to is Wild, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. It is the story of Strayed's personal journey hiking the Pacific Crest Trail solo. This adventurous and emotional odyssey vividly told with suspense and vigor will keep you on the edge of your running shoes, and the miles will fly by as you listen. The movie version of Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon, is coming to theaters this December. So if you're the type that needs to read the book before you see the movie, now is the perfect time to grab your audiobook version of Wild. For a free, downloadable audiobook of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com slash mother. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mother. Happy running and reading. All right. Well, after a little um, technical switch there, we are going to continue talking to Dina. So Dina, you alluded to um, some half marathons that you've been doing, as as a lot of us know about, that you rocked the rock and roll Philly race, um, setting um, a new American um, sorry, a world masters half marathon record by 20 seconds. So congratulations on that one. Um, so, but we heard, t- can you talk us through it a little bit? We heard it was muggy on race day and that you got a side stitch about halfway through. So it was not like, you know, quote, a perfect race by any means. Yeah. And I think as, as athletes and runners, we can never expect things to go perfectly. So here I come from the mountain town of Mammoth Lakes, California at 8,000 feet. The air is so air. It's so dry and arid here to go to Philadelphia where it's 70 degrees and 90% humidity was quite a shock. Um, when you see like sweat flying off your fingertips in the middle of the race, I was totally grossed out, but, but, um, but the race didn't go perfectly. I, I had a couple, sporadic little too fast miles I got caught up competing with the other with the other women in the race so that kind of um, set me back once the later stages of the race came I could feel I could feel the effects of those of those aggressive miles from the beginning I had a side stitch at six miles and was able to like breathe it out but it came back three miles later and so it was just it was just again that's the trying to get over over that mentally trying to focus on the fact that well my left side feels really good. You try to be <laughs> an optimistic, optimistic approach to it. And, um, 
And it really wasn't until I was looking for that 13 mile mark, like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> and because I was falling off of pace to, to get the world record. And that was my goal going into the race. And the uh, there was a big sign with the official rock and roll race series logo on the left. And it was just these huge letters, WTF. And I thought, good Lord, can they do that? <laughs> An official, official logo? There's kids running around here. And as I got closer and I just thought, well, gosh, I wonder who makes these signs. Is it the people in the office or do they get advice from outside? And so my mind was totally off of the fact that I was, I was cramping on my, on my right side. And as I got, as I approached that 13 mile mark in a smaller font on that, on that sign, it said, where's the finish. And I just let out a laugh and, and it was really that, that laughter and the, and, um, having that, just kind of a humorous moment that gave me that energy. It almost, the humor of the, that situation almost unlocked a well of energy for me. So it was really an enlightening race. I thought I could run a little bit faster, but I, as with any race or training phase, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think that's why I, I'm reluctant to ever step away from this sport because I learn on a daily basis so much about, about physiology or psychology or my surroundings that I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to give that up for anything in the world. So when the going gets tough in New York City tomorrow, I'm really hoping um, I'm really hoping that something on the sidelines will amuse me to get out a little chuckle so I can unlock that that energy source again. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I have to say it's pretty heartening to hear that you got caught up with the other racers. I mean, not that not necessarily happens to me, but it definitely you get off your race plan, right? You get caught up into something like trying to pass somebody or looking down. You're like, wow, I should not be running this fast. And yet here you are a professional racer and that and that happens to you. I mean, how do you kind of can you talk about a little bit about that, how you pull yourself out of that or how you kind of get back on track when that does happen? Yeah, that's great. Um, I was supposed to be running five 15 mile pace, which, um, which I had intended to do just clipping them off, but you can't take that natural instinct out of, out of us when we're out there to charge a hill or, or surge on a downhill or, or surge when we get to the, the water station so we can bully our way to get that first cup of water, whatever it, whatever <laughs> it is that's disrupting our, our pace. Um, the pacing is kind of a methodical way to get through a race, but you also also need to enjoy that experience of other people being around. Maybe you can get caught up in your pace and really lock in in a training run, but the fun of being out there on a race course with thousands of other people is to share that experience, even if it brings out a, a competitiveness in you. So I just take it organically. I had some 505, 506s, 508 miles in there, clearly knowing that it, I was going to hurt later on in the in the race, but I really enjoy racing and I, and I enjoyed being um, impacted by the people around me. So it's just embracing, sure. embracing how things, how the, your race plan changes and, and let it, let it get organic, but then get back on pace and, and try to hold it. Sure. Sure. That's awesome. Well, you seem to epitomize the Twitter hashtag that I just learned of actually because of you, um, faster as a master, which we love. <laughs> um, and, um, <laughs> so what do you attribute your continued strength in races to? You know, I, I really was looking at, at retiring from competitive racing until my husband and I took over the Mammoth Track Club a couple of years ago. And I think it was just meeting the team every morning and really loving my teammates and helping them in practices, helping them go to the distance in, in practices that really brought a, a deeper joy in this sport um, out of me. And I it sounds a little hokey to say that happiness has has really helped elevate me the past year, but I am extraordinarily happy with my life and, and with my running. And, uh, I think that because of that, I just have this great momentum going. I feel like I'm, I'm always an optimistic and upbeat person, but I have really cut out anything in my life. Like there's nothing on my calendar that doesn't make me smile. Like, Oh good. I have this coming up, like looking forward to this podcast this week and, <laughs> and, and talking with you girls or looking forward to traveling to New York so I can reconnect with the running community that I love so much or um, waiting anxiously waiting to get Halloween pictures from my sister um, who will be taking care of Piper while we're in New York City so it's just um, it's it's really just uh, loving every nook and cranny of my life right now and I and I don't think there's there's really a, a reason to 
waste energy on on anything else but being joyful and happy with with your progression or sometimes even when there's hurdles knowing that this is going to unlock a whole new um, knowledge and a stronger wiser self on the other side so even when there's challenges in the way I really have naturally been able to embrace them over the years to know that I'm going to grow from that situation. That's, that's great. And you know what? I think that, I mean, I like the idea that you, that it's, that your running has kind of ricocheted through other areas of your life, or I guess, turn it around. Your happiness is ricocheted and you're running. And I think that's a really mature outlook. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that you could have done that at age 29 and said, okay, I'm not going to have, a, I'm, I'm going to say no to these obligations that don't make me feel good because I really want to focus on my running, you know, but, but as you get older and you kind of realize what quote unquote matters, it's easier to kind of pair out what doesn't matter and just kind of live the fullest life you got. Right. Yeah. And not a, I mean, not a moment goes by that I'm not grateful to be in a position to choose like that. So I, I feel very fortunate to have always had an amazing support system in my family and coaches and my manager. And, um, and then to just be able to lead by example now for Piper has been, um, has been really rewarding just to, just to see her blossom. And, um, and so as a, as a mom, I think that's probably the, um, the thing that touches. Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. BarkBoxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first BarkBox. Dimity let BarkBox know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free, because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel anytime. Free shipping in the continental U.S. For a free extra month when you subscribe to a six or 12 month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash AMR. That's BarkBox.com slash AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love. And each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash AMR when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash AMR. Me the most is to see how she's emulating the joy that, that we're living at the same time. And I love that her middle name is Bloom um, yes. and that you are seeing her blossom. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, so, so we've read that you're considering making a run for the 2016 Olympics in the marathon. Is this true? I think 2016 is still a far way out. I have New York on my mind right now. And once I cross that finish line, I'm sure another goal for 2015 will emerge. And um, I'll probably run a spring marathon, though I haven't even contemplated which one to, to run yet. But um, I, I feel that if my running continues in this direction, I, I really want to be a part of, of, that, of that start line. I will be there as a volunteer, working television or whatever. I will be in Los Angeles when the Olympic trials um, unfold. But, um, but if, if I'm on this same, on this same path of, of, of running being so fun and so rewarding and continuing to run well, then I'll most likely be on the start line. That's awesome. I just, I just love your positivity. It's just, it's um, uh, very moving and um, just really, I, I just really love it. Um, I think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's, well, and so we, so we turn to our mother runners, um, our little Facebook 
tribe and, and other people to get some questions for you, Dina. So we're going to kind of run through a couple of those right now. Oh, um, so Lindsay re- read that you like to cook and she wants to know your favorite pre-race meal. Oh, goodness. Favorite pre-race meal. You know, I, I, I try not to be too much of a creature of habit. Um, I mean, I, I run every morning at 8.05, and so I guess that is a habit. So there, I just shot that down. But, um, but with food, I really feel that variety is how your body absorbs and craves those great nutrients because you're getting um, a different combination of nutrients at each meal. But if pre-race, like I love Indian food, and I'm not mm. going to go out for lamb vindaloo the night before a marathon. So I'll I bet you could get you can get great Indian in New York. What are you talking about? Come on. No, maybe a post-race meal of Indian or, or a few nights before the race, but certainly not the night the night before. I try to eat more on the bland side, but I think ideally I would search a place that has um, wood-fired pizzas and have something, something on top that has protein and carbohydrates, so maybe some vegetables and, and prosciutto or, mm. or brassiola on top. Um, brassiola and arugula would be amazing. Amazing. Mm. Um, and then, or I might steer towards uh, a piece of salmon and some pesto pasta as a, as a nice balanced plate. So always trying to get a little bit of protein and a, a focus on the carbohydrate part, but a little bit of protein as well. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I use, I, I remember that from, I don't know if it was from an interview I did with you or somewhere I read that you, you like pizza as a pre-race meal. And so I hold that up as like my, my perfect pre-race meal. And I realized that you probably don't have it like doused in grease and cheese the way that I like it. But I'm like, if Dina Castor, if it's good enough for her, then I can have it too. <laughs> well, fat, fat is a good fuel source for, for a marathon runner, but I just feel pizza is like a perfect meal. It's all, oh. it's all in on one pie and you can have anything you want on it to, to fit any craving you might not might be having. And then you can ask me what, what's my favorite post-race meal. And after a morning of drinking uh, pomegranate berry cytomax and jet blackberry goose. I can't wait to have a slice of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so something salty. So it's both my pre-race and my post-race go-to. Um, it's just a good pizza. But oh I, I love cheese. Don't get me wrong. There's got to be. I don't call it a pizza unless there's cheese on top of it. We we also know that you're a talented baker because when we got to hang out in Mammoth Lakes with you that time, you baked cookies for all of us. So are you bringing any cookies with you to New York or? Um, maybe a couple pieces of Halloween. On, yeah, I think maybe maybe I'll stir up something with pumpkin in it, like some pumpkin pumpkin green chili bars or something mm, delicious. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, so another question from the tribe. Um, Patricia asks, says, we've all had spots in training where running feels more like a chore than fun. And from what you've said, it doesn't sound like that that's the way it is. But if you ever get that way, um, what do you do to get out of that funk? Or how could you suggest that people get out of that funk? Yeah, so much of the time it's a chore, no doubt about it. But I, 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 I think that's what um, that's the game that I like is like how do I how do I get my head around this? How do I get to the other side of this monotony or or this fatigue and uh, or this complete misery because the mm-hmm. wind is in my face and mm-hmm. and my quads are tired from the downhill? There's there's always that, and I and I think that that's what running offers us and that's so rewarding is that we we're out there trying to figure it out and we can't phone a friend at that time it's you've got to you've got to do some soul searching by your by yourself and figure out how to get through that and sometime it just is is my husband driving by and there's techno music pumping out of the windows of the car and it gets me in like a better groove like my cadence increases to try to keep up with the beat of the song and or sometimes it's it's thinking of of what I'm going to do after the run that brings me joy how am I going to warm that that cold fall kitchen up I've got to brew up something in the kitchen to warm that warm that uh, upstairs of the of the house and so you can I think um a lot of times it's just a game of when to internalize and, and, and dig deeper and, uh, and, um, figure things out internally. And then there's sometimes where you just have to get outside yourself. Like I'm, I'm annoying right now. Let's go outside and, and look at the views, be inspired by the views, look up the road, charge, charge to the next tree. Um, so I think it's just fun to, to figure out what works in any given moment. And when you're getting through that in training, then you have all of those tools at 
at your at your disposal come race time when those similar fatigues and and monotony happen is that you have you've worked through it in practice and and you know what helped you out um, on some of those longer runs and you've got it in your pocket to to throw down on on race day. So, so I've got to ask you this and I hope it's not insulting, but do you ever let yourself off the hook? Like, do you ever get out and you're like, oh, I am not feeling it. Or, you know what, this isn't the day for this tempo run. I'm going to reschedule it another day. Or, I mean, do you ever like kind of switch stuff around just based on how you feel? Yeah, I, I don't do much of that, mostly because I meet with the team and that's what the team is doing on a given day. And I know if I have a tempo run and I'm not feeling it when the team is around, I'm certainly not going to feel it by myself the next day trying to do it over because I like that camaraderie of having my teammates around. Sure. So to me, I just figure out, you know what, this isn't going to be an epic day. Maybe maybe five flat pace isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to cut it today. So I do give myself a break and saying, you know, let's just get let's just like tame it down a little bit, cut the time by 10, 15 seconds a mile and just get it in. And, um, and a lot of times, sometimes when you get into, when you get into that mindset, you end up having a great run anyway. And, um, so I feel that I I do let myself off the hook, but maybe not switching days, but just, um, not putting that, that pressure on myself to hit a, a certain time because I'm not really feeling fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, you know, being good and good enough, you know, because with mother runners that are, you know, trying to take care of their families and maybe work and deal with their house and stuff. I mean, there is a line that's good enough. I feel that, and it doesn't have to be perfect and knock it out of the park every workout. Right. Absolutely. And my, my husband, who's the coach and coach Andrew Castor of the Mammoth Track Club, he um, gave us a pep talk while we were at the gym probably about a month ago. And because some people didn't have great workouts that morning and were hard on themselves. And he said that we don't train for a perfect day. We train, we train ourselves so that when we get to a race, if we're feeling 80%, if it's humid, if the weather conditions are, are subpar, if some of the competition drops out or new competition comes in, and it kind of rattles you that you're training for, for, to give a hundred percent of yourself on that 80% day. And I, I really loved, loved hearing that from him. And I've drawn on it a couple of times since then. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about is, you know what, I'm going to give my best on this day that isn't so perfect. And I think that, um, that that is really, um, it's a, it's a commitment to the sport. It's a commitment to yourself. And it really is empowering to know that you can still get out there and do it, even though you're not a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, we have some, um, some kind of uh, easier questions. Um, that Shelly wants to know what's your favorite workout, and Lisa's curious if you have a favorite strength training exercise. Speaking of being at the gym. Oh yeah. So for Shelly, I think my favorite workout is a mile or two mile repeats up at the Lakes Basin. And I found we started working out up there once a week in 2004 when I had a physiological test to see what altitude, because I could, I could hit the same times at altitude where we train at 7,000 feet as I can at sea level. And uh, my coach, Joe Vigil at the time thought that this was strange. And because typically people would run much slower up here or or whatever they were running up here would run faster at sea level so we had this test done at the olympic training center in chula vista where i just was basically breathing through this apparatus attached to a balloon and i sat there and read a book and the physiologist mike shannon was varying the levels of oxygen to the equivalent of of elevation changes and at one point i wrote on a piece of paper because i had my my mouth around this, this device and my nose clipped. I wrote on a piece of paper, I feel like I'm sitting at my dining room table Hmm. and it happened to be at 8,000 feet. So he just chuckled. He didn't give me anything at that time, but he told me afterwards. And then I was reading my book and I realized I got to the end of the page and I didn't remember anything that I was, that I read. So I went up and I read the page again and I halfway through lost concentration and started taking some deep breaths. And uh, (laughs) what this test showed when it was all finished is that I was sitting at my table at one point um, at 8,000 feet, but that my body didn't feel the effects of altitude at a resting state. My body didn't feel the effects of altitude until it was at 12,000 feet. So that let me know that I had adapted well to, to living and training 
here, but we decided to move my workouts once a week to instead of mile repeats at the park, I went up to the lake space in 9,000 feet to do two mile repeats. Mm. And that was a whole nother burn. And so <laughs> wow. to this day, I, I really love that workout. Now we only incorporate it during the beginning of the season. So it was kind of early summer that we were doing repeats up there, but I just love that burn in my lungs that has me coughing for the next week. And, um, and so we thrive on some psychotic things as, as runners, but I really love, um, just that, that sense of accomplishment. Um, the times aren't as impressive as, as we if we were running down at sea level, but I just think getting that out of myself up there, that, that burn that can't happen anywhere else, um, is really rewarding. Wow. That's great. Uh, I think, I think that comment pretty much shows why you are one of the many reasons why you're as successful as you are, that you take such delight in all that. And in, in the cough I love for a, the burn. Yeah, and in the cough for a week. It's like, oh, that's so great. She loves hacking for a week. That's <laughs> so fun. Yeah. But just to know that we could get that out where bodies are so resilient to know we can get that out of ourselves is so thrilling. And then of course you have to follow that up with with some pretty hardcore rests. So as I as I come down out of the lake space and I come home and I refuel right away and I lay in bed and cough for the rest of the afternoon. So um, I I think that that rest phase is always um, underestimated, but extremely important. Absolutely. Well, and so, um, so strength training, Lisa was asking about that. And I'm just curious how much you do um, and what you do. And if, you, if it's, if it's taken on increasing importance as you get a little bit older. Yeah. So uh, we meet our Mammoth Track Club meets at the gym every Monday and Friday for about an hour. And all we do is dynamic flexibility um, type exercises. So leg swings and donkey kicks and um, and walking lunges with a twist. And and we'll, we do walking squats where we squat sideways. But when we're deep in our squat, we push our elbows. Um, we use our elbows to push our knees out to kind of open up our hips. So a lot of it is just getting that your joints and um and muscles loose and limber um after after or before workout so monday night when we do it we're getting ready for our tuesday hard session so we'll also incorporate some dynamic step ups and um, a speed ladder to kind of um recruit neuromuscular facilitation kind of get us hyper and and ready for the the workout the next day friday is more of after a tempo run is more of a the loosening up so emphasis on on a lot of those um range of motion exercises but it's only an hour in the gym andrew doesn't want to take any energy away from our running energy so he's really into um not wasting that energy in the gym and also seeing that um, some athletes get injured in the gym quite often so we keep everything pretty low-key we do body hangs to try to open up our spine. And um, so a lot of it is just, just opening up exercises. So do you plank at all or is your core like wicked strong without it? Yeah, we don't, we don't plank. Um, I think years ago we used to do planks to failure, you know, until like your body's like shaking and you're, you're sweating, sweating on the mat. Um, but right now I think, uh, running itself gives you your core, such a strong, such a strong base. And then some of the balancing work that we do in the gym also offers that strength. Nice. Nice. So you've mentioned Mammoth Lakes um, with a lot of fondness in your voice during this interview. And Rachel had a question. Um, she says she knows you've been working to get a track built in Mammoth Lakes. And um, talk to us about your commitment to the Mammoth community. Um, you know, we certainly know that a lot of top level runners live there and, and how having such deep roots has helped your running. Yeah, I, I'm a nester by by trait, by heart. So for me, I need a home base. And I and you know, when Andrew and I were looking at where to live and and wanting to live at altitude, we both had fond memories of our childhood at, here in Mammoth. And t- to be honest, we've lived here for 14 years now, and we could really live anywhere in the world that we want to. And we haven't found a place that we like better than than home right now. So I feel very passionate about living here and also loving running, I want to be able to with the community, share running with the community. So we um, have a $2 million track and field facility down um, by the airport at exactly 7,000 feet. So an optimal, from a physiological standpoint, it's an optimal elevation for altitude training. Mm -hmm. So the track is just beautiful, stunning views in every direction, inspiring views in every direction. Mm -hmm. So our, our motivation behind it was that we wanted to 
to bring running to the community, but then we also wanted to bring runners to our community. And it's worked beautifully to go down there on any given day and to see a mom and, and dad and their son kicking a soccer ball around on the synthetic infield and then seeing the, um, the Bowerman Track Club single file doing mile repeats. <laughs> and I remember going onto the infield and, there's the, and I asked them how, how they were enjoying the facility and if they lived in Mammoth, this family. And they said, yeah, they lived here. And I said, do you know who these people are running around the track? And the mom said, no, but they sure are fast. <laughs> so I'm pointing out, well, there's an American record holder in the steeplechase and there's the American record holder and there's a medalist and there's a, and they were just floored that these people were in, in Mammoth, um, came to Mammoth to, to train. And so it's just fun to make that connection. Um, that, and to me, that was like a dream day to see the facility being used by locals and, and by, uh, such a prestigious track club as the Bowerman track club. Nice. Nice. Um, when you talked you did some, I, you were very gracious and filled out a survey, um, for us, for our next book, which is tales from another mother runner, which is out next March. Um, and, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert is that, um, we decided that we get to go on a dream run with you and a bunch of, um, other great, uh, professional mother runners. So we kind of have a conversation going, but we have you talking about, um, the 18 mile run that you love in mammoth. That is a, a loop, right. Or something yes. it goes by lakes. Yes, Thousand Island Lakes, and um, and it's it's pretty flat and relatively untechnical. Uh, so it's to me, it's an easy it's an easy run, but it's all in the Ansel Adam Wilderness. We're on the John Muir Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm. You pass multitude of lakes, and the furthest point out on this run, you're underneath the the minarets, which are these um, really spiky mountains, and uh, and Donahue Pass that brings you into Yosemite. So you're right on the cusp of of Yosemite and it's just gorgeous wilderness and wildflowers and rivers and it's just the San Joaquin River so it's just such an inspiring run and I people ask if I would get into ultra running and racing and living here in Mammoth I can once Piper's in school in a couple years I could really see myself wanting to explore the backcountry a little more um, but probably not race ultras but just kind of put in that distance just to explore more where I live. That just sounds so gorgeous Mm -hmm. I mean I just want to go run there right now. <laughs> it just sounds like like oh do you, do you do you get to refill your bottle from the streams? You do, and I have the coolest little I don't even know the the brand of this um, this water purifier that I bought. It's just this little UV light wand, and I'm so proud of this thing. I just tuck it into my shorts, and yeah, I, it's awesome. I I love that cold cold lake water. There's yeah. nothing like it in the middle of a of a dry run um, to to fill your water bottle up at a cold lake. Oh my goodness. I think I think now all the listeners are going to just hop on planes to get to Mammoth Lakes and go <laughs> yeah, running. Let's all run on the trails together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so we wish you just the the greatest success in New York, and uh, we will all be cheering for you and thinking about you, and, and we hope that there's something that makes you chuckle, as you said. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to celebrating with everybody at the finish line and um, and creating a new goal to chase after that. Great, great. Thank you so much, Dina. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Thanks, Congratulations, girls. and have a great race. Thank you. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. Just love Dina. She is just such, such a good, good person. I mean, she, she's a phenomenal runner and I think she's, you know, just an equally as great a human being. She's just, just lovely in all, every sense of the word. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because you, you alluded to a trip that we got to go on. Gosh, I mean, we're gonna have to dig the picture up from, mm-hmm. because it was, I think it was right when Run Like a Mother came out. So it was probably 2010 around there. And, uh, and we got to go on a trip with ASICs out to Mammoth and, mm-hmm. you know, and pretend like we could keep up. And, um, and I just remember just marveling at her size. Oh. I mean, she is so mighty, but she is so tiny. Oh, she's I a mean, mighty I, mite. She is just, I was telling our producer that I'm like, honestly, her quads, her upper leg is the size of my upper arm. Like That's I, my she, line, Sarah. That's my line. You stole it. I was just about to say it. <laughs> That's what I say to people. Like when they're like, oh, I can't run fast. And I'm like, you know what the elite runners look like? And I pulled up my arms and I'm like, these are Dina Castor's legs. And I'm not. <laughs> 
kidding you. Oh, excuse my language. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Um, so yeah, I mean, but she is like, you know, uh, just a, a ball of muscle. I mean, you know, she doesn't need to do planks. I was just curious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, just her family is just so dear and, and, um, she just she just brings a lot of greatness in many ways to races. So I'm excited to see what she does in New York and and beyond. So I remember. I mean, I'll, I'll then then we can wrap this up. But <laughs> I remember watching. I, I very very rarely catch things live. You know, I mean, it's it's hard now with the internet. You know, mm-hmm. to not know what happens in a sporting event. But sure. it was right after I had Amelia the Olympics in 2004. And um, it's when she ran that super, super smart race in Athens. And it was mm-hmm. the one that started at night. It started at like 6 p.m. And I remember like seeing a picture. And so it was morning time in New Mexico where I lived. And she's like has her like ice vest on to kind of keep herself cool at the uh-huh. beginning. Uh-huh. And then she, I mean, you know, she ran the smartest race. And just to see her knock people off to come into the bronze medal towards the end. Oh, I mean, I was just... I was racing around the kitchen for her. I mean, that was just so, so fun. I've never emailed an athlete Uh after I've interviewed them, you know, to say great job or whatever, but I couldn't resist. I was just like, Tina, I know this is kind of inappropriate, but good job. So proud of you, you know, like. That's awesome. It was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, we hope you'll join us on our Oh wait, hold on, Dimity. Hold, hold the phone. We've got to go from tiny Dina to not so tiny yes. Ted Spiker, who is, admits that himself. Right? I'm not. I'm not being. Yeah, mean. you're not disparaging him. No, no, yes. no. Yes. Um, so it was your brilliant idea to. I shouldn't sound so surprised by that when I say that. Um, for, <laughs> Whoa, Dimity, you have a brilliant idea. Whoa! Stop the presses. <laughs> um, so that uh, we are going to have our second AMR um, reading and running club and it is going to be ted spiker's book downsize i'm holding in my hand 12 truths for turning pants splitting frustration into pants fitting success which i love that uh (laughs) subtitle so um not giving you a ton of notice here but um we're going to be hosting ted in mid-november on the podcast so we'll be fielding questions for ted on our facebook page on november 11th which is a tuesday so and i've and I've i've been i've actually read the book i've been kind of um reading it over the past couple nights and uh it's not it's not a tough read but it is a very interesting read and and he is a you know as if you may know ted from he's the big guy he's got the big guy blog on runner's mm-hmm. world he did an iron man um either last year or two years ago he's a member he started the sub 30 5k club on facebook so he, he is a runner um and he's frustrated with the fact that he is a very capable athlete and yet here he is not the size that he wants to be and he's written the book in a very accessible funny way um with a lot of studies and um interesting tidbits to back it up so um so it's not like you have to read it you know cover to cover you can you know pick up a couple chapters and and definitely get some good information there Mm -hmm. great great so again we'll be um fielding questions for ted on our facebook page on november 11th and our facebook page is run like a mother the book our websites are anothermotherrunner.com and motherrunnerstore.com, where we just recently debuted some um, Philadelphia Marathon um, gear that is super duper cute, City of Motherly Love. Um, and on, That was my brilliant idea, wasn't it, Sarah? No, no, I, no. no. The I run, believe it was, yeah. No, no, no. The Run Philly part was the City of Motherly Love. That was me while okay, brushing my collaboration. teeth. collaboration. We're both yeah. brilliant. Yes, we are. We are. Um, and so catch our brilliance on... <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at the Mother Runner, our... but don't make us take a Mensa test because we're really not that brilliant. <laughs> our uh, our um, books, Run Like a Mother, Train Like a Mother, and our upcoming Tales from Another Mother Runner are available on Amazon. And um, wherever you are running, many happy miles to you. I don't even want to take the SAT again. <laughs>